where everything begins, begins again. Welcome to the Mid the Pines podcast, a place where Grove City College alumni and faculty give voice to their unique stories, contributions, and accomplishments. Our community is blessed with many individuals who are often recognized for their proficiency, purpose, and principles, all celebrated hallmarks of the distinctive Grove City College education. Learn more about their God-given callings and the work they are undertaking for the common good. These are their personal and professional stories. Hi there, everyone. Zach Jew, class of 2011 and current development officer at Grove City College. I'm back with you today on the Mid the Pines podcast with my friend and fellow class of 2011 classmate, Joe Doris. Joe majored in entrepreneurship and was involved in the annual business plan and elevator pitch competitions. Uh, and I might note, Joe, you won the competitions both in 2009, 2010. And uh, Joe was a resident assistant for two years, led a trip to Wears Valley Ranch through Outdoor Missions Outreach Tennessee to serve children in foster care, sang as a member of the Men's Glee Club, and played a variety of intramural sports. Joe has served for a variety of nonprofit organizations since graduation, including Hope International, Potter's House in Guatemala, and Films for Good in the Greater Philadelphia Area. Currently, he serves as a missionary for the Evangelical Alliance Mission, or TEAM, in Guatemala, where he serves, empowers, and disciples artists in Guatemala City, Guatemala. Joe, welcome to the podcast, and it's great to see you and and hear from you because we spent so many years together at Grove City. Thanks for having me. Today, we're we're talking about your time in in Guatemala and uh, and kind of getting to where you are now with Team. Um, and uh, before we dive into what you're doing now specifically. Because what you're doing now is a little different than what we might think of for for the world of missionaries, in a sense. But before we get there, tell me about some of your background on missions. Yeah, um, I grew up in Peru and later in Venezuela as a missionary kid. My my parents were church planters, and I, I wouldn't say that they weren't other kinds of ministries, but like church planting or medical missions were like the main thing in that time, and so. That's the concept of missions work that I grew up with. I primarily remember being in Caracas, Venezuela, and growing up as a missionary kid, there are two things that I think most missionary kids often look for or, or seem to, 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 to need. And one is a clear sense of identity. Um, you have one culture in the home and another culture outside of the home. Lessons such as like our identity in Christ become extra relevant when you're struggling in the world to figure out who you are. I'm sure that's not only an issue for missionary kids. I'm sure there's all kinds of people coming from mixed cultures, especially in a country like the States, you know, who who having that kind of search for identity. I think the other main theme that comes up is with stability. Um, You're used to moving around. You're used to being in different places with different people, talking different languages all the time. And Grove City had a decent number of missionary kids, and that ended up being really helpful. There was one experience that I'll never forget where I was walking to the apartments. I was walking by the football stadium, and I remember I heard what sounded like somebody crying. So I walked closer to the stands, and I noticed that there was a girl from our sister hall there. So I asked if she was okay and how she was doing, and 
she said she wasn't okay, but she didn't know if I would be able to understand why she was upset. And, I, you know, I said, try me. And she shared how that she was a missionary kid who had grown up in, uh, I think it was Uganda. It was just overwhelming to go from a country like Uganda all the way to the States. And I remember sharing, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also a missionary kid. And I have a bit of cultural adjustment. And we were able to find a certain amount of mutual understanding and affirmation that ended up making it a very comforting conversation for both of us because we were able to share just a, a bit of mutual understanding that of trying to figure out who you are. And I think Grove City just, I guess it seems to be a landing place for a lot of people with backgrounds like that, where I found a little bit of refuge at Grove City. So missionary, the missionary world is very much a part of your, your DNA, but missionary work wasn't necessarily a thought for you post-graduation. You know, you've, you've mentioned reading the Gidunk, uh, which is the alumni magazine, um, uh, and there was an article in it about using your gifts and abilities to serve underserved communities. And um, I'll, I'll take a shameless plug real quick. So a little break, timeout, <laughs> because folks might not know that the Gidunk is the alumni magazine that we publish a few times a year for alumni and friends of the college. The Gidunk, uh, of course, highlights campus news, student features, and alumni achievements. Uh, and so shameless plug again, if you're not receiving the Gee Dunk and you're a listener, uh, we don't send it necessarily to Guatemala to where Joe is, but we can send it anywhere in the wow. States. <laughs> but you can contact our staff at alumni at gcc.edu and we'll make sure you get the Gee Dunk. But Joe, back to to your story and your experience with the Gee Dunk. You know, what did that what did that play in your in your life? Well, I'll have you know that my dad saves the gidunk for me for every time I come back to the States. So That's awesome. I, I, I make sure to get my gidunk reading in. It might be, I might be finding out a year later about what so-and-so is doing. You, you see the uh, baby section kid. and the kids are five years old now, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But I remember when I was first joining Grove City, getting a copy of the gidunk that had a story about an alumnus who... He was a male model, and uh, he was somehow using that, uh, you know, that field that he was working in um, to serve underserved communities. And I remember thinking, I did, like, my mind was blown. I was like, I did not know that you could do missions work outside of the traditional ways of doing so. And so, you know, it almost seemed at first, I think my initial reaction was almost one of kind of like wanting to laugh, like, wait, you're using modeling to reach people? How does that work? And um, yet there's, you know, a whole area of knowledge and creativity in his field. And as I thought more about it, it started to expand my thinking. It, it kind of made me open to, hmm, maybe, maybe there are other ways you can serve the Lord. Maybe there are other ways that you can, you know, help people to see Jesus through the way that you live. And it doesn't necessarily need to be what I grew up observing. I, for a long time, was not interested in going into the family business because there's, you know, I, I have no problem myself being one of these people of, you know, 
the child of missionaries or the child of a pastor going and becoming a pastor. If you feel the call, you feel the call. Um, but you know, there, I was very much concerned about just doing something because it was a world I knew and not because it was a calling. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that was a, a moment where I started to wonder if maybe the skills that God had given me could be, you know, that ministry was an option, um, where I could use them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And now fast forward a little bit in the, in the future and, and you've done photography, videography, and now you're with team, uh, the evangelical Alliance mission. What are you exactly, what are you doing to, to serve, to empower, to disciple the people of Guatemala? Uh, you're clearly in a warmer place than Grove city. Um, but what, <laughs> uh, so that, that's, that's a great thing, but what are you doing down there to, uh, as a ministry that's a little different than we might think of? So I came down to Guatemala as a videographer working for a local nonprofit um, that worked in uh, a community that is kind of colloquially known as the garbage dump. And there's a big garbage dump and all kinds of people work in and around that garbage dump. And the community has uh, lots of needs, economic, spiritual, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, um, so I left after four years working that with that organization and joined team and started a ministry that was focused on using photography and videography to reach people uh, for Christ by you know building discipleship relationships. And it kind of came about because as I was working as a videographer, I you know it, it was hard not to notice the demand for photography. Um, it's the social capital of the day and video you arguably even more so and everyone wants to know how to take a photo everyone wants to know how to film the video people are much more interested in learning how to tell a story there are all kinds of people who all over the world who just they want to be seen they want to be known and um, there can be healthy outlets to that and unhealthy outlets but um I, in working with what was primarily young men that I was working with, I started to notice that, that there was a great desire for work, a great desire for dignity in their work, a great desire for self-expression, the ability to process life. And I think that photography and videography are mediums that can, that provided work for them and uh, you know, with increased demand of the day and at the same time allowed them to be seen and to express themselves and to tell, perhaps most importantly, their own community's story, going back to that conversation of identity. So I put a little office inside of our church's larger office, and inside we had a little group of guys who were coming in to learn. We had these young guys I'm working with who are as they are filming for these ministries are hearing the biblical basis, the biblical understanding of adoption. And so um, there were just opportunities ripe for having conversations about faith and about how we should live and how that applies to, to life. And I, I think maybe my favorite part of that whole time was Usually when I would invite somebody to come in and join our office, 
the first comment I would get is, well, I don't deserve this opportunity. And that equipment you're offering to let me use is worth more than my house. And it gave me the opportunity to tell a story about how when I first got started as a videographer, there was a, a man who was discipling me and his wife was a videographer. And although I didn't deserve to use her equipment, she lent it to me. And when I told her the same thing, she said, everything that I own, I am just stewarding. It belongs to God and I don't deserve it myself. And so if I can get an opportunity to not only support your career, your opportunities, but let it be a lesson in grace, how you don't deserve this, but yet I'm giving it to you anyways in love, then that, that way we can start this relationship or this conversation off with a lesson in the gospel. And so that's how the relationship started with each of the, the young guys who joined our office. I see ability in you and I, you know, we can use this as an, a, a constant reminder that everything that we have belongs to the Lord and that this is a, a gift that we don't deserve and it can remind us of the greater gift that we don't deserve of salvation um, and hope in Christ. What a what an opportunity to learn how to be a good steward of that and, and how you learn that and now get to to share that with with these guys um, and uh, and and try and help them figure out what is it like to to be stewards, be good stewards. Right. That's we talk about that all the time at, at Grove City, at least here oh, in, yeah. in my office and alumni relations. Right. We're even even just the four year education that we both had at Grove City. We're just stewards of, of this great place that's been around for almost 150 years. And, uh, and we're just passing through. And so how can we leave it better than we found it? How can we understand what it is God's doing in the hearts and minds of all these young men and women that go out and do things like you're doing, that I'm doing, that so many of us are doing, that don't have to be flashy jobs, that don't have to be um, you know, well-paying jobs even, uh, they're, they're areas that God has called us to. That's, that's a sweet, you know, I, I really appreciate that. About I, that. I'm realizing now, I didn't even tell you what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told you what I in a, in a nutshell. So this past year, uh, we made a change in ministry, and it has not been announced publicly. So this is the first time. I mean, I don't know exactly when this is coming out, but uh, this might be the first place that people hear this. But we have expanded our ministry into serving discipling. Um, creative people in general, not just in the photography and videography field. And um, so we found a new larger space. Our first office or our first kind of independent office have right now, I'm kind of just putting that together, um, kind of filling out the details of what a, a the, the ministry as an institution looks like and, you know, and recruiting people who are, are working in other creative fields as well to be with us. We're seeking to disciple artists um, in general and reach them for, for the gospel. I really appreciate that. And, and uh, expanding the kingdom, right? We talk about expanding God's kingdom and, and it's not just the subset of videographers, photographers. And, and so now you're, you're really branching out. I think that's really neat. Well, hey, we're going to take uh, a short commercial break, but we'll be right back with Joe Doris and his story in Guatemala. 
There's just no place like homecoming. And if you've ever attended in the last 10 years, we know you agree. Make plans now and reserve your spot to take part in the best alumni event of the year. We have class reunions for class years ending in threes and eights, Greek anniversary celebrations for Adels, New Lambs, and Sigma Alpha Sigma, affinity reunions for men's soccer, touring choir, Young Life, and Crimson and White Society. There's fun for the whole family. We look forward to seeing you September 29th to October 1st, 2023. Register now for homecoming at alumni.gcc.edu slash homecoming. Well, welcome back. Uh, I'm I'm talking with Joe Doris in Guatemala about his ministry to artists and uh, and Joe, we're we've been been kind of jumping <laughs> jumping around a little bit as as we did anyway in our conversations when we were here. So you mentioned last time we talked that you were uh, really inspired by an artist that came to Grove City College as a special lecture, um, and that guy was Makoto Fujimura. And uh, suffice it to say, I I remember Makoto coming to school. But I was not at his lecture, and you were. Um, but uh, you know, if I would have been uh, with you at that lecture, we probably would both be in Guatemala City right now, uh, doing the same <laughs> thing. So, but what um, what was it about his lecture, his time on campus, that really inspired you, or spoke to you, uh, and and really affirmed maybe your calling, or or really confirmed a calling? I had no idea when Makoto Fujimura came to Grove City the the voice that he already was um for the arts um in in support of the arts within church within ministry um but i also had no idea how much his writings would bless me for the next decade um but that i remember going to see him talk in Stick's lecture hall um at Grove City, and I remember, like, there were not a lot of people were there, and so it, and he's a big know, deal too, right? Like now we're looking back on yeah. it, like, like I I see I see him on Twitter actually, you know, and, and he's tweeting uh, about a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, you've got like a million followers, man, like you know you're a big <laughs> deal, but no one was in this lecture, so. Well, I think it was representative of, uh. He was having this conversation before it was a really popular conversation to have. Yeah. And I got to give him a lot of credit for He was doing it before it was cool. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you certainly had some other voices like Francis Schaefer, who was in Grove City uh, as a pastor, I believe, for a, a few years. He wrote a book in appreciation of, of art. Um, as a, a window to the gospel. Um, but uh, Makoto Fujimura, I, I remember going to see, when I saw him speak, I remember I almost cried right then and there um, because he spoke of something that had, was really important to me, but I had not fully realized it or really put it, been able to put it into words, which was, that I, I can put my walls up when I hear gospel, when I hear teaching, and art has always been something that has kind of been able to move over or around the walls that I build to reach my heart with the truth of the message that's being shared. And so creative means like film and paintings and music, um, et cetera, 
were often the bridge for me actually allowing the gospel to to penetrate my heart, for me to come to trust it. And it made me deeply grateful for the arts. And I think that he as well was somebody who was not only very skilled in the arts, but also grateful to the arts for the role that they played in his faith. And so that lecture led, it inspired me with what ended up being my business plan competition project. I was an entrepreneurship major, which are like the creative types of the business world. Uh, they want to be the boss so that they can like improvise their decisions, you know? You don't have just a specific job that you have to do. When, when you're the boss, you can kind of, you know, exercise your, your creative side a little bit more. Um, and it inspired me to make my business plan um, about, it, it was a crowdfunding platform for supporting Christian artists. It was called Funds of Faith. And I remember getting second place and being completely shocked that I even placed, and even my business plan professor, Dr. Halley, who was a great professor, was, I could tell he was surprised as well. He was like, huh. But maybe it's because there was something there. Um, I spent effectively a, a, my entire last year at Grove City developing this idea of how can I support Christian artists. And Makoto Fujimura has said things like, I think in one of his books he talks about, uh, what if Vincent Van Gogh had found a supportive, loving church family that served him and his needs and put him in a position to use his talents? for the gospel. Um, and I don't know, some people might think that is a silly question, but I actually, I took it really to heart. How can discipleship play a role in, you know, encouraging someone to use their great skills for God's glory? Um, and so I wanted to support artists. I wanted them to feel welcomed in the church. I wanted them to feel like their giftings had a place within the larger church community. I even, for a couple of years, worked with an artist on campus trying to do these little, largely silly artistic commissions. But uh, there was a girl, her name was Jasmine Farishedian. She was, a, was and is a great friend. And I loved her artwork. And so I remember as a student just finding ways, like what kind of random way can we get our art out there? And I remember when Jars of Clay came to play at Grove City. I... I had gone to a bachelor's party on the other side of Pennsylvania and wanted to make that Jars of Clay concert so that we could present a piece of art that Jasmine made for the band and their nonprofit, which was called Bloodwater Mission. And I remember driving going to across, uh, across the highway to get back to Grove City, and my car broke down upon reaching Grove City Town. I managed to push it into a random parking lot, run to the concert, meet the band, present them with the art that I'd commissioned Jasmine to make, and just say, hey, we just want this to be a blessing to you. Thank you for what you were doing. And then going back and getting my car towed, and it ended up being totaled. <laughs> so uh, I was without a car for the rest of the year, Grove City. but. I, I couldn't explain to you why, but I was so driven and still am 
just to have somebody's art shared as a blessing to somebody else. And so that was enough of an indicator to me that this could be something that I could do if I could make it work as a vocation. Empowering Christian artists to bless other people with their gifting. So, so Makoto refers to, to border stalkers, and, and, and I'm sure um, you can let uh, listeners in on what border stalkers uh, means uh, specifically, but you've got multiple folks that, that I would think would be considered border stalkers in a sense, and, and now they're using their gifts to meaningfully spread the gospel. What's, what's an example? Uh, I think this guy named Abner um, you know, comes, to, comes to mind. Fujimura talks about this concept that he calls border stalkers, which is just a way to describe the people within a church community who seem to have a foot in and a foot out. One foot inside of the border of the church and one foot outside of the border. Um, and from their vantage point, they can see a little bit more clearly the world and uh, the workings of the world. And that's, that's often where the artists are. They are looking into the world and observing it and expressing what they see about it. Um, and they often tend to be very good at understanding the world and taking that back within the, the walls of the church. It's a deeply valuable role uh, within the church. There are all kinds of ways that people come to hear about the gospel. You know, they're often interacting with these border stalkers um, who, you know, are the ones using different ways and means and opportunities to share the gospel. Artists tend to be in some, somewhat of a precarious position where their knowledge of the outside world can be misinterpreted as an embracing of the outside world. Um, or for their knowledge of their expression of the things that they observe to can sometimes can be misinterpreted as endorsements or, or support of simple living or, you know, as opposed to just a, an expression of something that has been seen or observed or experienced. And, um, and so they often struggle to feel like they fully belong um, in the church. Um, there's kind of a split identity there, which is something that I can relate with uh, quite a bit, both from a creative standpoint and from a missionary kid standpoint. I, I really like working with those people who are on the border because they tend to often feel like they don't fully belong. And I like to find ways to show them that they do belong um, within the church and that their skills can be used for the kingdom. And so one example of that is, um, you know, we've started working with artists and not just photographers. And, um, and so there's this uh, young man, his name is Abner, um, who... Last year, uh, I started to interact with him more frequently, and uh, he's a painter. And he's a painter, but maybe was lacking not in ability, but maybe in confidence. And so I hired him to do two wall-sized paintings or murals in my apartment um, because I really valued his work. But, you know, he was also, I think, still building the confidence to to share his work publicly. And so he did two great uh, pieces of art in my apartment. And 
um, that led to the level of relationship between us um, where I was able to offer him a commission to do a mural in his own community. So he came up with a concept. It was his own idea based off of things that he observed in the community. And he wanted to express something about the effect that this, this, the decisions that we make, how they affect our, the path that we take. And so he had somebody taking a path that was constructive and another person taking a path that was destructive. And, um, and he painted this mural and what it led to was inspiring people in the community and the local authorities to ask him to paint a mural on an even bigger wall that was like the size of a city block. The reason they wanted him to do that is because this community, this wall that they wanted him to paint was covered in gang graffiti. And inside of that wall, in that community, a lot of the children would try to emulate a lot of the gang members that they would see in the area because that was the identity of the community. It was all over the walls. Um, you know, the, the loudest and hardest figures in the community were the guys who were with guns and selling drugs and doing dangerous and destructive things. And so the community recognized that maybe if we change what this community looks like on the outside, maybe that might start to influ you know, influence people thinking differently about what this community is. And so he painted over all this gang graffiti and replaced it with beauty. At one point he had returned to this mural to do some touch-ups and a, uh, a lady passed by who he, he didn't feel like she realized that he was the painter. She walked up to him and looked at the mural and said, this is really nice. This gives me hope. And he called me after that conversation, weeping, saying that he, that small interaction was finally allowed him to feel like he had a role within that community. And it was one to help a community look at itself differently and offer it as the little amount of beauty um, that will inspire people as they walk by it on a daily basis. Abner walks with the Lord, but his experience in church was one where his pastor used to burn his paintings to go to his house and say that his paintings were um, demon-possessed, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But um, go and burn his paintings. And so Abner was used to his artistic ability being associated with being of the devil. And so doing these murals allowed him to see them, to see that in a different light. And not only that, to feel like he had a role within his community. And so, you know, my follow-up conversation with him was trying to, you know, where do you think you could have taken that conversation with that lady, you know, um, that would have led to a sharing of the gospel? Ask you, well, why does this bring you hope? Does it in and of itself bring you hope? Or does it, does it take you to a larger truth, a larger truth that maybe we can find clarity about? in scripture. Um, and so Abner, I think is an example of an artist, a border stalker who was told that his primary gifting was demon possessed or was, was work of the devil because it was seen as worldly. So he left church and didn't have a very good view of, of the church for a long time because of those experiences. And, 
I've really enjoyed being able to work with him and trying to unpack all of his experiences, separate those interactions from what the Bible actually has to say about him and his abilities, and then to provide a platform where he can use his artistic gifts to support his community in a way that dignifies the community, provides them with a, a sense of identity. And there's a lot of economic needs in that community. Um, and as cheesy as it sounds, though, uh, art is food for the soul. And um, it can be a tool that it might not be a sandwich that you're handing out to somebody so that they can eat, but it could be the inspiration for somebody to get up and do what they need to do to either buy or make that sandwich. I feel like Dr. Herbener, the famous economics, economics sure. professor, yeah. I feel like the ham sandwich was a very common illustration i i don't i didn't know where the using the uh, sandwich as an example came from but I, I can't help but think that he had some kind of influence there were two main examples that he frequently used there was i think it was a ham sandwich and the other was toyota tundra and those two things were used to, to explain all kinds of sophisticated economic concepts <laughs> two very common items that everyone has well <laughs> yeah at least one of them at least <laughs> right <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because um, I, I think it's it's a it's a reminder to us, whoever we happen to be, uh, of of continuing to pursue what God has called us and be faithful to the areas He's placed us in and the passions He's provided us, um, because those can lead people to to the gospel and and can lead people closer and closer to Jesus. And uh, and that's that's a really neat that's a really neat aspect of that story and and what can our stories be uh, as as well. So, well, Joe, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, man. I uh, it's it's been too long, first of all, um, but it's been a pleasure hearing from you uh, and the ministry that the Lord's placed you in. And so we're we're excited as a as a Grove City College community for what the Lord's doing in and through you. And we're we're just thankful for for your sharing with us. Uh, I'll give you the final word. And uh, and then I'll sign us off, and uh, and we'll head out. Wow, the final word, man! I feel like I need to pause and think about what, <laughs> how to use this opportunity. Well, I think I'm going to wing it. Um, I think Grove City, and I don't even mean this as like some kind of shameless plug. At every point in my process at Grove City. I was encouraged to explore creativity as a means for serving the Lord. And, you know, you had some very established programs, you know, like the music program. But then you had some kind of, I was more involved in some of the newer, more budding classes, like the videography class and, uh, you know, the audio recording. And that's not what it was called, but it was audio recording class. forgot what it was called. Um, and my experience at Grove City was one where my exploration into using creativity as ministry was encouraged, embraced, and accepted by professors and students alike. And so when I go into communities and interact with people whose artistic inclinations are not encouraged, embraced, or accepted, but seen as dangerous or a threat, or uh, seen as unnecessary, um, seen as a distraction. 
you know, the, the basis at Grove City put me in a position to, to have a personal experience that informed my encouragement of these people um, and wanting to provide them a similar experience where they could explore the giftings that God has given them. I think that, you know, I, I was not an art major at Grove City. I was an entrepreneurship major and was essential for being able to do what I do now. And so I'm really grateful for my time at Grove City. I, I hope that if anyone who listens to this gets anything from this conversation, it's that they can get a sense that they can use their gifts to serve the Lord and glorify Him, and that in the mere beauty of doing what you think God placed you on the earth to do, people will see the gospel and want to talk to you about it. If anybody is listening and trying to figure out what they want to do, um, God can use those giftings. Um, and it's, it's kind of incredible how they can lead to conversations about the basis of our life, which is scripture. Well, friends, if you or an alum you know has a story, like Joe's, to share on the podcast, let us know by reaching out to alumni at gcc.edu. We'll catch you next time on the Mid the Pines podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mid the Pines podcast. Explore more episodes at alumni.gcc.edu slash podcast. Our co-producers are Joni Baumgartner and Amy Evans. Research provided by Janice Zinsner Inman, class of 1987. Audio editing is provided by Jennifer Hiles. Our theme music is Home, courtesy of the family of the late David M. Bailey, class of 1988. Contact us at alumni at gcc.edu for more information. We hope you'll join us again, Mid the Pines.